Hello, I'm Helen. Welcome to season seven of the Just Bloody Post-It podcast, which is for creatives who are marketing their work online. It's a show about more than just marketing though. It's about our lives and ambitions and hang-ups and mistakes about the whole person behind the small business. Thank you for coming. This week, our conversation is with Dr. Mandy Leto. Most of the time, I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. And it doesn't mean that I'm not credible, but so much of running a business is figuring it out. Do you know, I had a bit of a light bulb moment about this, this summer, dealing with British Airways, who marked up a flight booking that we had. Nobody is running their business perfectly, is my point. No one person, no big corporation, and no one in between is running their business perfectly. So you don't need to pretend to. And I think realizing that at the beginning would have been such a aha moment. Mandy is an executive coach who says she helps overachievers and perfectionists to challenge their beliefs of not enoughness. She's been coaching the business of enoughness for 15 years and came to the role via history PhD, investment banking, parenthood and burnouts. We talk about her wiggly journey and about how not knowing what you're doing doesn't mean you're not good at what you do, about the slow bubble of coming to understand who you're for and who you're not for. I love that bit. But first, I asked Mandy if she's a perfectionist and overachiever who's challenging her own beliefs of not enoughness. I think there's constantly things that get in the way of feeling enough. And those things are often so hardwired into us from the time that we're little, the belief systems that get rooted in. So do we ever get to enough I'm, I'll let you know when I get there. It's, it's a North Star. And there are times when I definitely fall into it. I know my clients fall back into, oh, I suck. It's awful. I, I'll never get there. And I think it's learning to relate to that chorus of not enough voices and inner critics that we all have. It's learning to relate to them with more levity and more self-compassion, kind of expecting that they're going to pop up at moments when we're doing something different or new or when we're more visible. It's anticipating that they're going to turn up. So starting a new business. Oh, wow. My gospel choir of not enough voices. They were there. And, you know, equally, I had some inner champions. So I like to think of it more as we get better at noticing the things that get in the way of our enoughness. I think that's key, the noticing part, because I know that we all talk about negative self-talk and uh, imposter syndrome and those kind of quite loud voices at times that can hold us back. But I think there's a lot more quiet stuff that goes on in the background. How do you, how does a person recognize they're holding themselves back? Because I sometimes think people don't even realize they're doing it. Do you agree? Absolutely. It becomes so normalized. And I think often someone will say to me in a coaching says, well, that's just how I am. As if there was something permanent about our personalities. And I think the first step is realizing that there is some holding back happening. And we tend often to be, I mean, there is systemic stuff and all of that, but we often tend to hold ourselves back. So I think the awareness of how and the curiosity around that, how can that can be happening in our businesses and in our lives more generally, that's a first step. You've had a wiggly career, I think it's fair to say. 
And it has led you to this role that you have now, helping other executives, high achieving, ambitious people to, I don't know, go easier on themselves maybe. Do you feel like you have, uh, you know, it, it, you reached your calling ultimately? Tell us about how you got to where you are. I actually started off as a creative. I was in my closet as a small child, painting, writing poetry, writing stories that then I would rip up and secretly burn in the wood-burning stove because I kind of didn't want to be found out, what if it wasn't any good? That was always what I thought. So the feelings that I got growing up and the messaging that I got growing up was that you can't make a living doing the things that you love. So I remember having... Someone who I really respected, I was I was a young woman as a teenager, and this person was a little bit older and wiser. She said, you should really go into IT. That's the future. You should really go into IT. And I'm sitting here. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's a, lo- a low risk, high reward strategy. That's what oh. she was trying to save you from heartache, I guess. You know, like, you'll be able to pay your mortgage if you go into IT. And I remember, I mean, not, no offense to anybody who gets lit up by IT, but I remember dying inside a little bit. And I just remember feeling so shriveled and withered at the thought of a life sitting in front of a computer terminal. So I did a PhD in history. And then I realized that it was really tricky to get a job. And I fell into a job in investment banking, which I did for many years. And I was good at it. But it didn't make my heartbeat fast for the right reasons. So I did that. And then um, basically had a spectacular burnout for a series of reasons and basically pushed myself over the brink with two small children. And then I decided I'm going to start my own business. I thought, what the hell? What do I have to lose at this stage? It was exciting and terrifying at the same time. So for the first couple of years of starting my business, I lived in a perpetual state of nervous excitement, like partially nervous, partially excited. And this is your coaching business. Yeah, this yeah. is, yes. Well, I started two businesses. I started an image consulting business because I was an early adopter of coaching when I started 15, 16 years ago. So I remember telling my investment banking colleagues that I was going to do coaching and they're like, you mean like tube socks and a whistle? And I said, no, 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 <laughs> that kind of coaching. So it, it's, it has really, really taken off in the past couple of years. But I also start, started a sort of dress for success, colors, makeup, styling, and, you know, how to look the part. They're connected, aren't they, those two, mm-hmm. two things? How you look, how you present to the world, how you uh, can feel confident. Absolutely. How you can shape people's perceptions of you. They're not, they're not unrelated, are they? No. And I think I was actually doing a shadow career there because that really wasn't my calling, but it was a way to get in front of people and get them to kind of kind of kick the tires and see what I could do and what I was about because all business, all marketing is P2P, person to person. And that's then how I started to do more corporate gigs of coming in and doing talks on mindset and and success. And then I let that part of the business drop off because it was just too many plates in the air. And then really was all in on the coaching and the corporate training. And then when the coaching started to really take off, I let that corporate training piece fall away. So I did come back to my calling, Helen, eventually. It just took, what, 52 years? (laughs) There's no rush. I'm really interested in a few things to pick out there. First of all, my 
first thought is I wonder how many people are listening thinking, oh, I'm doing a shadow career. I'm kind of like, I'm sort of halfway convincing myself that this is enough for me or that this is me truly fulfilling their creative urges or whatever that is driving me, but it's not quite there. I'm not quite there. It's not quite right. And second, just the evolution, you know, learning which elements you can let go of and and zeroing in on the bit that you're best at, which is what you have done. And do you know what I'm really interested to ask you is that how you feel coaching is creative because you clearly feel that you need a creative outlet in your work and if you don't have that then a part of you is not served so in what way is coaching creative because I don't think people think of it that way necessarily I'm so glad that you said that I think being in deep conversation with someone and the act of real listening true presence with someone is such a creative act because somebody can be speaking to me and there's all of these possibilities and sliding door moments and directions I could go in that are opening up in my mind as I'm listening. And I'm constantly overriding so many of those impulses and thinking I could go that way. I could be pulled this way. It could be this and really, really pulling myself back constantly to the person in front of me as they are in expression of whatever's on their heart in that moment. The more I stay quiet and offer this exquisite presence, which we almost never get, the more reveal starts to happen and the deeper we go. And then I start to see like, oh, if I would have intervened with that one direction, we would have never gotten to this place. So the the creative act of constantly self-regulating you know, because so often we listen to respond to things as opposed to truly listening. I'm doing it right now. It's it's such a very truly difficult thing to do to really listen to what somebody is saying and to leave your preconceptions of what they're going to say behind. Uh, you know, ready with the next question. Ready, you know. I'm I'm thinking, what am I going to ask Mandy next? What's the obvious next question? To rather than thinking, gosh what's Mandy really saying and what's the most important part of what she's saying and what is she revealing with her words? I presume that's something that you've had to train yourself to do over the years really well. It is. And I think there's a a space between where someone is speaking and there's a space where I'm listening over here. And then there's this almost like a dance floor in the middle. And it's, I like to think about it, that it's kind of a tango, but not, you know, because it's, we're doing it together, but it's, it's almost like interpretive dance, I guess, if I'm not going to belabor this metaphor, but just observing how someone is being. And the creative part is not just listening for the words, it's listening to what's not being said, listening to the tone that you're there using, listening to where they pause, listening to where they break eye contact and go into their own inner experience or what metaphors they might be using, or what's happening with their body language, or do I sense that that person has tightened up in this moment? So everything, absolutely everything can become a creative act once we bring our, you know, like looking at it from that lens of what can be created with my presence the way that it is in this this moment. 
and the partnership between the, the two people or more in the room. I think you've gone a, a great way to explaining where the benefit of professional coaching can can lie for the, the person who pays for it, you know, holding that space for someone to allow them to fill it up with the full expression of what they might want, even though they don't know yet, perhaps, or how they're going to move on to the next thing. Do you struggle with this aspect of, of publicly talking about your work, of marketing what you do, of being visible in your business? Or is that something you're actually quite comfortable with and enjoy? I found it very difficult at the beginning because when I started my business, I really felt constricted by this sense of constant image management. I thought that I had to present myself in a certain way, that I had all my ducks in a row, that I knew exactly what I was doing. And let's face it, when we're running businesses, I don't know about you, Helen, but like most of the time, I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. And it doesn't mean that I'm not credible, but so much of running a business is <laughs> figuring it out. I'm yeah. here for openness about that. I'm, I, you know, I, I really am, especially as I, I, I mean, I don't, I was over 40 when I started my small business, you know, and I had no background, no corporate background at all. But, you know, I had a bit of a light bulb moment about this, this summer dealing with British Airways who mucked up a flight booking that we had. They are a huge airline. Nobody is running their business perfectly, is my point. No one person, no big corporation, and no one in between is running their business perfectly. So you don't need to pretend to. And I think realizing that at the beginning would have been such a aha moment. And I'm not sure that if somebody would have told me that, I would have believed them. <laughs> I think this might be one of the things we need to figure out in our own way, but also running programs for big corporates that I have been doing for the past 10 or 15 years, you realize how many moving pieces there are and how many things are flying around at the last minute. And I really don't think there's any shame in saying I'm sometimes figuring out things moment by moment. And that's a skill. That is a great skill to have, as opposed to looking at it like I have to hide the fact that I'm winging it has a negative connotation. And I don't think it needs to have a negative connotation. I don't think, yeah, I've, I don't tend to use that phrase, but I, I will often try to admit when I don't know quite what to do next or if I don't quite know how to help somebody with the answer to a particular question. And I do think that those moments of admission create real connection between you and another person. <laughs> when, you're, when you're prepared to stand in front of someone and go, I don't know, or I'm sorry I got that wrong, or... I made the same mistake, this mistake last year. And, you know, I think most people will be so relieved to hear you speak that way. I mean, I think that's always been my experience. The point is how one relates to it, right? Like if there's a, if there's a tricky situation, I've learned that it's not anything I'm doing wrong. It means I'm learning and evolving and growing. And it's really about having a group of people around you that have probably been in a situation who can consult on something, who can say, oh, yeah, as you said, that happened to me last year. What Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? So I think laying down that image management, what I felt at the beginning, there was so much tightness there. Like I need to, oh, I just need to get it right. And I need to present this image because otherwise nobody's going to work with me. And I've realized in you know, my 15 years of running this business that 
I don't have it figured out all of the time, but that doesn't mean that I don't ultimately know what I'm doing because I'm in the navigation. Sometimes I need to slow the engine down and navigate carefully and seek counsel or experiment with things. And sometimes it's wrong and sometimes it works out beautifully. But that has been my experience of really letting myself off the hook for that and understanding that this is part of what it means to run a business, end of. That it's nothing to do with me, that I haven't got it all figured out and I don't have like MBAs and all the things on this. So I think that has been really helpful to lay down the image management. And as you said, bring some of that vulnerability and realness and human touch into how I show up. So... I very much bring that into my podcast. I bring that onto social media when I'm when I'm doing talks. I bring it into my coaching as and when it's of service to the person I'm working with to try not to be somebody. And this has been like one of the biggest aha moments of running a business and being in deep self-development for such a long time is like you don't have to be a somebody to be somebody. Okay, no, right, expand. I think taking that pressure off of yourself to appear a certain way allows you to be in the discovery, in the curiosity, in the fun. This is supposed to be fun too, right? Like what's the point of starting your own business? It brings a lot of that back when you can allow yourself to be human and not uphold this unsustainable mantle of I'm supposed to be this person all the time who knows the answer who looks impeccable, who's super clever, who knows all the trends, who knows how to market, who knows everything. It's exhausting. It is exhausting. And I think I'm, it, that's, that, that would be a big work in progress thing. I, I would say myself also. I mean, you know, of course we don't come online knowing how to present ourselves and knowing how to feel comfortable. That's another thing we have to learn as small business owners who want to do online marketing these days. But it is it is a balance. You, ca- you can't come on a hot mess. I think it's a very hard thing to get perfectly right. And it's an iterative process. I think the more competent I've become with my craft, the more I'm able to fly my freak flag to be bring more of my humor and my personality. Maybe I needed to be more closed up and tight and professional at the beginning until I realized like, okay, I'm really bloody good at this. And now when I feel really comfortable in my own skin with tons of humility still, then I can realize that actually it's it's also about the person. It's about the realness and the grit and the struggle and all the things that have to do with the real person. I don't want to deal with somebody who's completely uh, glossy, lacquered, inaccessible. I want somebody who's a bit more porous and real and and likable that can relate to me. And that person can just be three or four steps ahead of me on any given journey. And I can still trust them without giving them some kind of guru complex. So I think really understanding that, that there's so much more space in my business for meanness. Meanness. Yes. What's the point if it's not? It's so tiring to not be, it's so tiring to not be yourself in something. I have worked with many coaches over the years and something they can struggle with, which I don't think you do, and I'm hoping you're going to be able to help people with, is being able to explain what you do 
and being able to explain who you do it for, to be able to talk to a target market and clearly appeal to a group of people. Do you feel you have a good handle on that? I do, but because it's it's because I've spent years and years iterating that, trying it out, figuring out who lights me up, who do I want to work with? And also being in a space where there's still sometimes in my career, still, where I have to do cash work versus sexy work, right? And sometimes there might be a client that I really want to work with that maybe isn't able to pay my usual fee and I might create a scholarship or find some way to work with that person. And then there's sometimes in my business where I was like, oh, I've been spending a lot of money in my business. I need to generate some work. So this job is a six out of 10 for me, but it lights me up enough and it, it pays well. So there's this combination of cash work and sexy work. And then iteratively over the years, being able to be clear on who do I want to work with more of the time. It doesn't mean 100% of the time necessarily, because I don't, I don't think that would be being honest to you. That's sometimes there is a time for cash work, right? But understanding who really, really clearly that group of people is and being able to explain it to somebody that they immediately get, this is for me or no thanks. So I think having the courage to be able to repel some people as well. I think that's one thing I did at the beginning, maybe because I had to, it was like, I'll coach anything with a heartbeat. I'll be for you. I'll coach you. And I think that was getting the muscle down. And now I aspire to be for almost no one. Ooh. And that becomes part of my brand. Yeah. It's, you know what, actually, and like all of the coats of armor or layers of thick skin that we can build up, the first time that you're not right for someone it might be hard but after that it's much easier you'll be so relieved you're not working with them <laughs> it will be a massive relief you know how many times have you started to work with someone and from the very first conversation you're like this is not really great this is not right the red flags are going up I kind of don't like the way they deal with me they're not they're not hearing what I'm saying and you know if you can as much as possible just move towards only working with those people that feel great from the very first exchange or conversation or email you have with them. I mean, you will truly enjoy your work so much more. But like you say, it's it, it's a sliding scale. It doesn't mean that you have to do things that make you unhappy, exhausted. You know, it's just like, okay, this is maybe not the, this is maybe not a pinch me moment, but I'm going to do it anyway, you know. And you go in eyes wide open. But I think once you start to identify who you're for, more and more and more, you start to iterate that language. You start to hone it. It gets clear. You get feedback on it. I often ask clients, what, how did you find me? What, what landed for you from my website or any of, you know, they'll often say that they've, they've been stalking me for quite a while. They'll say, oh, I've been listening to your podcast or I've been reading your social media stuff for two years or I've been on your mailing list for, I don't know, six years or something like that. And then that person becomes a client so that there's, there's these ways that they can interact and feel like they're developing a relationship with me and they've already opted in because they've seen me. And if you can have this patience, if you can, over the course of several years, become more yourself in your business and in your content and in everything that you share and allow people time 
to get to know you and to try before they buy, which I think is particularly with what you and I do. We we, we work with people, if not one on one, then in a it's quite a personal relationship. They're coming to you because they've chosen you rather than someone else. And an, a lot of people get frustrated with their marketing and make mistakes with it because they just want it to happen very quickly. And I would say coaches, that is definitely, a lot of coaches can go into the business and they need to fill their books up and they want to get the bookings and they're impatient to see results from their marketing. But I think it takes years of making podcasts and writing emails and before you truly hit your stride with it. Do you agree or can it happen quickly? Unpopular opinion, absolutely agreed. And I would say slow growth is the growth. It's sustainable. There is absolutely no shame in getting another job if the bills need to be paid. There's no shame in getting, uh, taking on more cash work or coaching people who are not your ideal clients. So I think it depends where you are in the business. If you're 15, you're 20 years in and you're still in that place, that might be a different conversation. But at the beginning to get the turbines going and to figure out how do I language myself into the world? Who am I for? And really getting the muscle of your craft honed, whatever industry your business is in, it's going to be different and this will change. You know, you start to find your stride, but in my experience, it's slow, steady, incremental growth that yes, for sure at times can be frustrating, but it's also, here's a different thing. As the growth slowly starts to happen, you as a business owner are also changing. You are building your emotional capacity, your emotional range. Because if you grow too quickly and all of a sudden you get, for example, if I would have in my first year or two of coaching started working with, you know, a, a Fortune 500 CEO, I wouldn't have the craft down pat necessarily, even though I was really good at textbook coaching at that stage, but it's getting back into the creative creativity and the art of it, as we talked about earlier. I also had to grow as a person. I had to experience tons of different types of people. I had to be able to grow my nervous system resilience to be able to hold lots of different emotional states hold other people's energy, hold their anger, hold their pushback, hold all the things. So that organic growth of yourself as a business owner, of being able to grow your emotional capacity to deal with all sorts of stuff that you don't even know is coming for you yet, that also takes time. And we don't talk about this enough. We do not. Something really nice that you shared with me before this conversation about what sets you apart as a coach and I want to talk about this client astonishment I'm always looking I'm reading from Mandy's email I'm always looking for ways to surprise and delight my clients whether it's having a cartoonist create a bespoke memento sending bespoke gift boxes or experiences I am always looking for ways to surprise and delight them tell me about how you built this into your work well, I think it's something that I like. Yeah, I was going to say, is this what your friend, is this the treatment your friends and family get as well? Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> part of who I am. This is one of the ways that creativity shows up in my business. So I want to differentiate myself as a coach. So it's not just the craft. It's also people are coming to choose to interact with me and my coaching because they want to feel something. They want to have an experience. 
So when I'm in that deep listening, I glean a lot of information about somebody. I know about, you know, what their dreams are, what things that they used to love as a kid. They might share something about their favorite color or a smell or something they love to eat. And periodically what I'll do is, you know, again, depending on the engagement and the client, and I, I do it as I'm inspired to and called to. It's not like a standard thing, but I might create this beautiful gift box experience of bespoke things that I've collected based on, you know, I had one client who loved Japan and loved all things Japanese and was really keen to go there. So I collected some special things that had to do with Japan and teas and a candle that was like a scent from there and a notebook that had the kind of designs on there and then wrote a really you know, wrote a really special card and everything was wrapped in kind of blossom paper, cherry blossom paper. I bought a black lacquered box on Amazon and had a custom made sticker, which you can do for on Amazon for a couple quid that was like then put on the box and I sent it DHL to this person. She was blown away. Opening this was an experience. Because Mandy, this is, I just, it strikes me that this is the most really lovely form of marketing really heart, you know heartfelt and I, I it, it jumped out of the message that you sent me because I thought wow we don't talk about this enough at all along with the slow burn thing is the um continued marketing and nurture you can do with your existing clients who are already convinced that they you know want to spend money with you they are you know statistics will tell you they are the most likely people to refer you on to new clients and we are so focused on attracting new people growing our numbers getting new people through the door when you know to spend so much time give so much thought to how you can create a really unique experience for the people who already work with you. There's so much value in that. Do you think it feeds back into your business? I'm sure it must do. It does because also I make it clear to the people that if I have a client who I love working with, I say in the agreements, I already get a sense of how we're going to click at the beginning. So I, when we're setting up agreements at the beginning of working together, I say to this person, at some stage of our coaching, I will likely ask you for a warm referral. So they've already, I've seeded that idea. And then maybe six, seven, eight sessions in when they've had like a massive aha moment and, and maybe I've got a, a vacancy, I'll say, remember when I told you that I might ask for a referral? And then I, I'm very specific about what I'm looking for. Who do you know who's probably in their 40s or 50s? They've had all this material success in the world. This comes back to what you were saying about knowing who you're for, right? Who do you know who's, who's really been successful in the world, but they're hanging by a thread, they're burnt out, disgruntled, a bit cynical, and this ain't their last rodeo. They still want to do something else. Who do you know one person? And then you see their eyes kind of go off into the look up, and then I say nothing. And they say, oh, you definitely need to spe speak to my friend Jenny. Wonderful. Could you connect us? That is how 100% of my business happens. Well, aside from people who find me on the website, but it's all word of mouth. It's these little actions are so truly likely to bring business your way. You know, asking people if it's applicable to your business to leave a 
good, strong Google review. And, you know, that will be worth probably about 500 Instagram posts to you in your business. You know, people read that shit and they use it to decide whether or not they're going to work with you. And they can tell when it's come from a real person who's had a real experience with you. So not missing those opportunities or like you say, building it into your workflow, those opportunities to, you know, get that great testimonial content written down somewhere and saved. I mean, that is the stuff we should be doing almost before we're putting ourselves out there on online even more widely because in terms of uh, you know your return on investment for that time you know you're you're going to see it come back through to your to your business those people who are the pom-pom wavers people who love you those are your people and then when something comes through i just had a referral that worked out into a client i'm going to send this person who made the warm introduction i'm going to send her a voucher for a massage or something like that, because then it's like really showing appreciation because I had to do very little to market that aside from be excellent with that client. So it's not when, when those things do work out as well, that's also where I'm continuing to put client astonishment into place to say, thank you for that warm referral. And it may or may not happen again without, without me even asking. So there's, it's always erring on the side of generosity. Mm. You've got me thinking, Mandy, about how I can care for my people better. Um, when I am going to have a chat with a podcast guest, I always have a little look through their Instagram. Do you like Instagram, Mandy? I like... You're pretty you're good at it. I like when I've done it. So now I made a reel today. I like it now. When it's on my plate and I'm feeling like I have a big to-do list to work through, then it causes a little bit more angst. But on the whole, I have a pretty healthy relationship with it. This post caught my eye because I'm a I'm a little bit obsessed with scheduling and measuring workflow and how how much can I really achieve, Mandy? That's a question I'm constantly asking myself. It says Shout out to anyone navigating that tricky transition between wanting to do lots of things and not wanting a packed schedule that makes you cranky and resentful. Have you have you nailed the art of how much you can realistically achieve in a day or a week. Have you got that down? It's like enoughness. It's a work in progress. It's something that I'm constantly bringing attention to when I'm doing my morning practice. It's something that I speak into the day for myself, like, let me not do more than I have energetic capability for. <laughs> so Ooh, what's, what? tell me what your whole morning practice is, though, first. tell me. Well, that. it depends. I'm not saying that I have something that I do on the regular, but most days before I saw this, this is not my words, but I saw this as an Instagram post. Before you put your hands on your phone, put your hands on your heart. So in that moment, before I get out of bed and have a pee, I'm still sort of laying in that bed, feeling a bit like, oh, waking up. That's when I'll generally think of things that I'm grateful for. And I'll choose like, what do I want to bring my awareness to today? How do I want to be today? So I'm setting myself up for success. And I might remind myself that because I'll forget, you know, by lunchtime and we're getting busy and in our to-do list, I'll forget. And I might need to recalibrate that of reminding myself what is my intention for today. And if I'm really clear what is a priority, then all of the other little pop-ups that are constantly popping up, and oh, must do that, must do that, must do that. Then I can be aware that they're there. 
but I can bring my mind back to this is what it is that we're working on today, rather than just getting pulled about by all those mental pop-ups. Everything is masquerading as important. Mm, true story. I am. Um, I've. I must admit. I've really it, gratitude practice, or that you know the act of thinking of a few things that you're grateful for at any given time is often on those lists that you'll read about, you know, what do happy people do or practices that make people truly happy. And I'm, But I have to admit, I'm completely sold on it. I have, I have almost slightly unconsciously built gratitude practice into my days or weeks or sometimes sleepless nights in the past year or two. And it can be like, I'm grateful for getting my child to the bus on time this morning or, you know, whatever it might be. It can be very small things. I definitely think it's made me a happier person. Well, it trains the brain to look for what's going right. And I think who is who running a business doesn't need to see more of what's going right? Because our negativity bias is like, that thing hasn't worked out, that client hasn't paid, didn't make as much money this year as last year. So if we can train ourselves to actually think, you know what, maybe I didn't make as much money this year, but I really stretched and I really grew. So even if it's like being grateful that you have your oat milk latte or got your kid to the bus on time, it really trains your brain more generally to be looking for the good stuff. I think it works a treat to remember the small things that you have to be grateful for every day. Um, But going back to my initial point, which was about schedule and how much is enough to get done in one day and how to manage that. What are your what are your tricks and tips? Well, I think there's two centers of intelligence, the head intelligence and the body intelligence. And I got into burnout because I was overriding my body intelligence about what needed to be done that day because the head would just like, this is what we're doing. End of. We're going to caffeinate and push through. And you know how that worked out for me. So being able to actually periodically check in from the neck down, like, am I feeling tired? Am I feeling like that weird crampy thing in my left butt cheek that's been niggling at me for a while? And do I need to get out? And so it's like really honestly checking in with my body as well to see how how am I feeling? Do I have enough in the tank for this? I'm not I'm not as intuitive about my workload as that. I'm gonna take that on board and try and listen to my physical messages. I also think we over yes because Ooh, shiny things. I know, and you know, I'm gonna tell two I'm gonna tell two stories from this week. Um so first of all, I got invited to do a talk somewhere and my default position is oh yes please how nice how lovely how very nice to be asked I'm very flattered yes definitely what do you want and then I noticed this pattern when I get asked to do things like that and it's been part of my year to sort of get out more so this is this is not this is something there's something in it for me I want to fulfill this request but I immediately went into people pleasing mode and I was like what do you want and you tell me and da 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 and then they came back to me with requests that initially made me feel irritated overburdened I was like oh no I don't really want to do that or that's there's going to be quite a lot involved now in what they're asking me to do and then I realized this is my fault because I didn't set any boundaries around what they were asking me to do so I took a step back and then I replied with this is what I can do because I know this does not make me feel stressed. This makes me feel happy. 
and that's what I can do. You can get yourself into such a cycle with people that can be really negative and actually you can drive it in a completely different way. And the other thing that happened this week is I read a piece of advice, probably on Instagram, that said, you know, like, the answer's usually no. Like, the answer's usually no, you haven't got enough time to do another thing. More often than not, it's no, not yes, in terms of can you help me with this or have you got time for that? It's mostly no, you haven't. You're mostly pretty full up. Do you agree? I am all for yesing less. I think that's part of getting out of, like setting yourself up to win, getting out of the cycle of external validation of like, it feels so good to be wanted. It feels so good to be asked. But I got this from Tim Ferriss. This is the the rule of no sevens. So when you're saying yes to something, if you eliminate, like on a scale of one to 10, one being... I would rather poke pins into my eyes than do this. And 10 being jazz hands. Woohoo! I'm super excited to do this thing. Most requests fall at a seven, right? So if we eliminate seven and then you've got one to six, which is probably a hell no, and then you've got eight, nine, or 10, okay, this is something worth contemplating game changer, Helen, the rule of no seven. So when somebody says, instead of insta-yesing, I say, may I get back to you? And then I check in with myself like, is this a one to six or is this an eight, nine, 10? So just buying yourself that space and grace to stop the auto-yesing that prevents that resentment afterwards. Fantastic tip, Tim and Mandy. Is that that's basically nothing less than an eight. And how much how much reaches an eight? Not very much. I mean, a ten is like you know, speaking at a dream conference or being on the telly, and you know, and you know anything anything close to an eight is going to be a pretty good gig. Um, tell me, finally, Mandy, another thing I've taken from your Instagram three things that you do when you're having a crappy day? Mm, Great question. Number one, move my body. When I'm having a crappy day, I've usually been slumped over at my computer. Your posture goes into that candy cane shape, like you're sort of huddled over, you're not breathing properly. So get outside. If you can't get outside, move your body in some way, put on a song that's some kind of banger and you just get up and you move your body. Number one. Number two is do some kind of meditation or some kind of practice that gets you into gratitude. And I mentioned on that Instagram post that you're referring to, there's a couple on Insight Timer that I absolutely love. There's one by Jason McGrice that I love to do in the mornings. David G is fabulous on Insight Timer. There are people who... If you don't know how to come up with any of that gratitude stuff on your own, there are other people who can be super helpful on that. And the the third thing, something that actually is fun, right? I think there's not enough fun in our lives. Fun is the place where go and experience something, like go to an art gallery, watch a TV show, open a book randomly from a page, like do something bonkers with a friend. I think we don't have enough fun. Business can be so serious and we get all tight and puckered up. And I think bringing that kind of levity and play into our lives too is super important. And what's next for you, Mandy? What are your hopes for the next few years? Are you a planner in that way? Do you have big ambitions? Well, I'm, I've always been told I'm ambitious and not always in a positive way. So I am ambitious. 
what's next for me is to come full circle and come back into completing that book that I'm working on of really creating loving, deep, funny, profound content on my podcast, which I love to do. And also relating to myself differently. One of the things I'm working on right now is being less triggerable by things like learning how to build my energetic capacity, really learning how to live in harmony with optimizing my nervous system of being able to handle the ups and downs of business without like being on an emotional roller coaster. That's really where I'm at. It feels really delicious. Yum. Thank you so much. It's been so very interesting to talk to you. So much food for thought. And I really can't wait to get the feedback from when this episode goes out and what it's got everybody else thinking about. And I'm going to go away and think about how I can love my customers better and the three things I can rely on to cheer me up when I'm having a crappy day. Thank you, Mandy. Thank you for playing, Helen. I loved it. Okay, I have had time to think. These are three things I try and remember when I'm not having a great day, which did happen to me at work last week, actually. First of all, whenever I feel untethered or stretched, I ask myself, are the kids okay? And if I take that as a starting point of if they're okay, then nothing else is too bad. That tends to calm me. Next, a small things gratitude practice works. Like, oh, the sheep are back in the field opposite our house and I love to see them. And that was a particularly nice lunch today. Those tiny pleasures, remembering those keeps you happy. And also just knowing that this too shall pass, whatever it is, it will be over at some point. Now it's your turn. What three things keep you steady? Thank you always for listening. If you're a friend of the show, then why not leave an Apple podcast review? They're wonderful for helping other like-minded listeners to find us. Just scroll down to ratings and reviews when you're listening on Apple and then click write a review. It makes my day when one of those pop up. Back next week. Bye for now.